at this point I'm thinking why not <laughs> this is the Sunday special sports bonus I'm flying solo once again and the Light Brothers will return to you soon this is a work in progress and we're loving this thing but we want to make sure that we put out the very best product that we can for each and every one of you listeners we thank everyone who has listened and has responded and also for those who are asking for more and we're making adjustments who are also just looking into what we really are and what we really want to continue to put out the content that we want to put out for the light brothers podcast this show is something that's very important to both me and my co-host joe morton and we want to continue to do this thing and we want to do it right so this past thursday night we're going straight to the nfl and that's where i want to start nfl football i think that after thursday night the ravens with the the big win against the new york jets which that's something that was kind of expected. This kid, Lamar Jackson, he has been doing this for a while now. Yes, in his second year of the NFL, he's been great. Go back to college. I was watching him do pretty much the same things in college. Now, was the completion percentage there? No. But he was phenomenal. If anyone actually watches college football out there, and I know there are plenty of you that do that, but this kid was – you couldn't tackle him. Um, you couldn't – couldn't get a very solid hit on him. Um, he was slinging the ball all over the place, although, the, again, the completion percentage wasn't the best. He was he was phenomenal the years that he was there, and he was a quarterback. Um, I understand the back and forth that we heard all of last week about whether or not he should have been picked a lot higher. Again, the Ravens passed on him as well as other teams, Okay. So let's keep that in mind. Um, and there were reasons for it. And I believe in Lamar Jackson and anytime as being a AFC North fan that pays it. I'm a Steelers fan. I pay attention to everybody else. Those other three teams, the Browns, the Ravens, the Bengals, um, two of those teams, I can depend on doing the stupid thing or just not coming through Browns, Bengals, <clears throat> but the Ravens, I can count on them doing things right. They have at least won two Super Bowls in this era. And they're going to do it again. I believe that they are who's next. They're the next team there. One of the reasons why I wanted to become a sportscaster, what was the first thing that really got my interest were watching NFL films. It wasn't exactly playing the game because I started off back in 1984 playing baseball didn't know anything about what I was doing um couldn't hit um could barely catch I got better as the season got on uh, wore on but I didn't play football until later I was a late bloomer in everything didn't start playing um tackle football until my seventh grade year at UN Park middle school now defunct um great school great football program coach Cox coach Donnell coach Mercer shouts out to them um but I was a late bloomer to doing those things, but the thing that really got me to love the game of football was watching Super Bowl memories. And I, I did watch football. The three things that me and my father would watch and, you know, me and my mom and my baby brother at the time, we were the only ones that actually went to church. When my father went to church, 
it was an event. It had to be something special. Like, he's going to church? Really? But <laughs> um, he watched tennis, and he was a basketball player, so we always watched the NBA, some college, but mostly NBA and professional football, the NFL. We watched those three things. That's what I grew up watching. And when I started doing things, watching things on my own, it was really like, what, 89, 90, 91, when I was really trying to watch things on my own. I started watching NFL films, um, the Super Bowl memories that were hosted by Steve Sable. And the long and the short of it is, after watching all of these things, and my father, big Steelers fan, that's partially why I'm a Steelers fan now, Watching those things, it got me interested in the history of the game. I'm a big history buff. I love world history. I love U.S. history. Um, those kind of in the stories behind what thing, what happened, um, how things came to be. I wanted to know when I watched the highlights, let's just say, of Super Bowl X, the Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I wanted to know um, let's just say if you fast forward to the end of the Steelers dynasty, the dynasty will lasted pretty much six years. They won four Super Bowls in six years, 74, 75. They beat the Cowboys twice. They beat the Minnesota Vikings. The first one in Super Bowl nine, Super Bowl 10, they beat the Cowboys. They had a two year hiatus in Super Bowl 11. It was the Raiders, Super Bowl 12. It was the, yeah, the Cowboys won uh, their second, um, beating the the um, the Denver Broncos in their first ever Super Bowl appearance. They beat them 27 to 10 in New Orleans in the Dome. First Super Bowl in the Dome, by the way. And 13 to 14, um, that's where the Steelers finished up their dynasty. The 79, 78 and 79 teams, they, they won those games against the Cowboys the second time. And then the Rams, the come up Rams. But... I wanted to know, once those Steelers dynasties were over, what happened? What happened to Lynn Swan? What happened to Joe Green? And in between, if you ever watched the old Super Bowl memories that I watched in the 90s, there was Steve Sable hosting. He gave you a beginning. He came back in the middle. They, was, they were only 30 minutes long, okay? He gave you a little something in the middle, you know, at the halftime. And then at the end, uh, he gave you some little, in all three of those um, breaks, he gave you some snippets. He maybe gave you a little bit of a history lesson, a little bit of um, information on something that happened during the game, before the game, after the game. And, you know, that didn't always tell the entire story because it was the Super Bowl game and boarded all the way down to 30 minutes. Highlights plays um moments in the game the hot the mvps and i wanted to know what happened what happened when the packers dynasty why did the packers dynasty end what happened to the first installation of the dallas cowboys what happened to the uh 72 dolphins the 73 dolphins was the last dolphin team to win the super bowl 72 dolphins went undefeated 14 and 0 17 and 0 uh, by this, by the end of Super Bowl, uh, when they beat the Washington Redskins in Super Bowl Seven, I wanted to know. So, as like a 12, 13 year old, I would go to the mall and look at these books, 
And I found this one in particular book. It looked like a phone book and it had nothing but statistics in it. It started when the league began. And at the time it went all the way to, I believe it was 1993 at the time. And I was just, just looking at stats. That's how I became interested in stats. I would also look at, uh, it actually, as an aside, got me interested in looking at statistics when I played my video games. And at the time, it was just the first, yeah, actually, it was two Tecmo Bowls by then because the first Tecmo Bowl on the Nintendo system that came out in, what, 89, it was the 88, you know, season, but it was the 89, the 88 rosters, but it was the 89 game. And then you had Super Tecmo Bowl that came out that was based on the 1990 rosters, but the 1991 season. And that one took all of the stats. So I knew the importance of a thousand yards receiving was. I knew the, well, I mean, if you knew the game, you really couldn't base anything on receptions and stuff or carries because Tecmo Bowl was just bananas with the way that the stats were put together. Um, you could carry the ball nine times for like 200 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, you're talking about video game stuff. But I also read and started collecting, it was the Sporting News, came out with what was called the Super Bowl book. And that book not only had the entire game, you know, written out and charted, it also had every single championship game whether it was AFC, NFC championship game, as well as the Super Bowl, going all the way back to the very first championship. I believe it was, I want to say it was the the the, the New York Giants and the Chicago Bears um, back in 1922, I want to say. And then I started reading the stories. I got backstories on things, things that happened to players during the week and I mean, you know, I wanted to know. And <clears throat> what I also learned are how dynasties worked and seeing who was next up, who was the next team to be great. This is something that I personally came up with because I went through at one time, probably about eight years ago, and looked at every single Super Bowl um, as far as the winners. and maybe it was more than eight years ago. But what I found out was that most Super Bowl winning teams, and I mean, if you really look at it and open your eyes, it's not hard. Most of the Super Bowl winning teams had a Hall of Fame quarterback and or somebody as a head coach that was a Hall of Famer. And if you go through and look at all of the Super Bowls, I mean, start at Super Bowl one. Yet Bart Starr, and the man who's who the Super Bowl trophy bears his name, Vince Lombardi. Super Bowl three was won by the Jets. I mean, Weeb Eubank wasn't necessarily going into the Hall of Fame, but if you know anything about Weeb Eubank, you go back to his Colts coaching days. He was winning championships with Johnny Unitas. I think actually, no, 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 no. I'm wrong. I think Weeb is in the Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame as a coach. But he, he he's not thought to be a great coach. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you think about Joe Montana and Bill Walsh. You think about uh, Terry Bradshaw and Chuck Knoll, Tom Landry. 
and uh, you go Lombardi and Bart Starr, Chuck Nolan and uh, uh, Terry Bradshaw, Tom Landry, Roger Staubach. Now, in my opinion, Jimmy Johnson deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. We know that Troy Aikman already is. That's just me. And not only was it Bill Walsh and Joe Montana, but you had Steve Young. Now, George Seifert, who was the coach after the 88 Super Bowl team won uh, Super Bowl 23 of the San Francisco 49ers in Miami. They defeated the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, he retired after that. And while um, George Seifert took over, now Montana, you know, they, they won 24. And then some years later, he won it again with Steve Young. Bill Parcells, now Phil Simms is not a Hall of Famer. I think that he probably should be in there. But... That's my opinion. Sims was not just any old quarterback. This is a guy that was throwing for four grand. This is a guy that put the ball in the air plenty of times, even though the Giants were thought of, thought of as a running team. They threw the football. They did. Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. I know about the asterisks. Just relax. Don Shula, Bob Greasy, Joe Gibbs, who's a Hall of Fame coach, did not have a Hall of Fame quarterback. But he did have an all-pro guy in Joe Theismann. Theismann is really how you say his name. And also, you had, he he won the Super Bowl with three different quarterbacks. Doug Williams, who was the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl. And then Mark Rippon, who had his one season of glory. And then there you go. But who who's next? I'll tell you in a second. Who's next? It's 2019. We're talking about who's next uh, in the NFL and basically giving you a little bit of a background of what got me to the point where I really, really decided to be a sportscaster. What got me to love sports, love football, actually. And when you think back at it, uh, all of the teams at one point, if you look at the Super Bowl teams, there's always a dynasty, and then there's a gap. If you just take the Super Bowl era, in the 1960s, the dominant team was actually the Green Bay Packers before, and then when the Super Bowl era actually came on in. I mean, they won three straight, the Packers did, before Super Bowls one and two. They got old. So we didn't know who was next. And then all of a sudden you had a couple of teams in there that won. You had some onesies in there. And then you had the, the dynasty wasn't set yet until 74 when the Steelers came through. Then you had, you know, you had a little small uh, window where there were a great, there was a great team in the Dolphins in the 70s. And then who took down the Dolphins and who pretty much replaced the Dolphins as being the best team in the NFL. It was the Steelers and it was the Raiders. The Raiders had always been consistent winners, even going back into the 60s. I mean, they they were uh, in Super Bowl II. And sometimes, uh, especially once the uh, AFL-NFL merger happened in 70, you had them always in the playoffs, talking about the Oakland Raiders, 
And if they didn't make the Super Bowl, which they didn't make it back until Super Bowl eleven, the 77-17, you had the Steelers. And when the Steelers dynasty fell off, what happened? You know, you had Joe Montana and the 49ers try to creep in there. And the 80s is really kind of choppy. We talk about the, the Niners being the team of the 80s. But if you really look at it, 1981, they won their first. 1984, they were the dominant team. That was three seasons in between there. Four seasons, actually. And then they didn't win again until, what, four or five years later? Four, yeah, five years later, they went back-to-back in 88 and 89. Well, in between, you had the Raiders. You had the Redskins. You had the Giants. You had the Bears in 85. You know, the 86 Giants. So you had, but they were the dynasty. They were the best team. They didn't make the playoffs, I believe, in 83, 82. The 49ers were, if I remember correctly, yeah, in 82, that was the strike-shortened season. And people talk about it to this day in the NFL circles, how they were kind of, it was a bad call. They were playing the Redskins that year, which consequently, that's who won the Super Bowl. Um, John Riggins was the MVP. Um, And, you know, they had a call that didn't go their way. They lost the game. But you go to the 90s. It was the Dallas Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys, once they kind of faded there towards the end, and you know a little bit more about the Cowboys, what happened there, <laughs> Jimmy Johnson was gone. That's the reason why the Cowboys didn't continue to win. Barry Switzer won Jimmy Johnson's third Super Bowl, period. There is no argument, okay? He was just in place, and they would have won more. Dirty Irvin, Michael Irvin. Uh, Hall of Fame wide receiver for the Cowboys. They talk about it. They should have won more. Everybody knows they should have won more. And that's the reason why the 49ers were able to come through and win another one. To be frank, they had to go through the Cowboys. They got through them one year. And Steve Young and company, my 49ers at the time, they won it. I'll take it. And there was a drought for the AFC because the Raiders won it back in 83, Super Bowl 18 in Tampa. They beat up on the Redskins 38 to 9, and they didn't win again until Elway took down the favorite Packers. I believe it was Super Bowl 32. Yeah. And you got to figure out who's next. This is how you figure out who's next. You have to look at the coach, quarterback. There are three things that every Super Bowl winning team has. This is just me, this is what I came up with. Every Super Bowl winning team has to have at least two of these three things. Coach, quarterback, defense. And again, I ran down in the first segment. You look talk about Lombardi or, or Bill Parcells or Belichick or Don Shula. You know, these guys, they not only had the Bar Stars, the Terry Bradshaws, there's the Troy Eggmans. You, you can look at the, the guys like Aaron Rodgers. He won one Super Bowl. He had a pretty good coach. He's not a Hall of Fame coach, but their defense was playing great despite all of those injuries. Clay Matthews was at the top of his, his game. And although Charles Woodson went down hurt 
in that Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2010. That 2010 team won. I mean, they, they were playing the way you the way you have to play in the postseason. Russell Wilson. Now, Pete Carroll, will he go into the Hall of Fame? Possibly. We know Russ is. What do you call that defense? The Legion of Boom. They had a great defense. You go out, you have some Hall of Fame layer play, lay, uh, level players that were on that defense. Go back to the 85 Bears. They got that one Super Bowl in there. That one. What do we talk about? The 85 Bears. And what do you think of? You don't think about so much Jim McMahon. You don't think about so much about sweetness, Walter Payton. You think about that defense. And some guys that are on that defense that were in the Hall of Fame, that are in the Hall of Fame. Mike Singletary, Dan Hampton. You can keep going on and on with the great players that were on that defense. Dave Durson, Richard Dent, who was the MVP in the Hall of Famer, defensive end. TSU, baby, Nashville, Tennessee. So, I mean, you go through any of those teams, Drew Brees had to have his defense play some ball. Matter of fact, in the Super Bowl that he won, Peyton Manning was picked off and it was returned for a touchdown to seal the win. So you have, and uh, Sean Payton is, isn't exactly the worst coach in the world. He's one of the best ones out there. Who's next now, in my opinion, right now, this year, San Francisco, New Orleans. That's your NFC championship game. Your AFC title game, Kansas City, Baltimore Ravens. I believe Baltimore beats them all. I don't see them losing. I think if Baltimore doesn't win it, Kansas City will. And I could totally see San Francisco winning it. And speaking of the Broncos in the 90s when John Elway finally got over the hump, not only a Hall of Fame quarterback, John Elway, he had a great defense. And matter of fact, if you go back into the 80s when they were making all those Super Bowls, they got the brakes beat off of them in Super Bowl 21. But their defense was highly rated. They got the brakes beat off of them in Super Bowl 22 by the Washington Redskins the year after. Their defense was good. It helped, helped them win games. But we always talk about the offense that he didn't have. The three amigos, uh, Ricky Nettil, Vance Johnson, and, and uh, Mark Jackson, that's who, you know, I mean, they were the, the smallest receivers. Only two times, I believe, at that point, did Elway have a thousand-yard receiver? He didn't have many thousand-yard backs. I mean, Bobby Humphrey, his rookie year in '89, he cracked the mark, ran for over twelve hundred yards, but there wasn't a whole lot. But he had to have some offensive help and some defensive help by that time, and he had both. He had Terrell Davis, he had Easy Ed McCaffrey, he had Hall of Fame tight end Shannon Sharp, Unk. He had Unk at tight end. A wide receiver playing tight end. And their defense was on on top of the world. Neil Smith, uh, Atwater was towards the end safety, Steve Atwater. But they had crazy old Bill Romanowski. But that dude could still play. They had a great defense. And they won back-to-back Super Bowls. So that's how you figure out who's next. Look at Baltimore now. They have a good defense. Their defense is playing better. And especially since they had to trade with the L.A. Rams to acquire Marcus Peters. That guy has been a big difference maker on that defense. Now, Earl Thomas isn't what he used to be, but he's playing well, period. And then 
You start with Lamar Jackson. John Harbaugh already has a Super Bowl win. He's already done that, right? Sean Payton has already done that. Drew Brees has already done that. They have offensive pieces, and they have a good defense. Cameron Jordan. I mean, those guys are, even though we know last week the defense didn't play that great because, look, these days you have two great offenses or offensive coaches. You can't always keep them down. You're going to have some – 30, 35, 31, 45, 40 games. I mean, what, last year we had the same thing happen when Kansas City and the L.A. Rams got together. All those points, it was a Big 12 game played on NFL grass. You know, you can't always stop great offense because the, the rules dictate that. That's what the fans want to see. You see it in basketball. You see it in football. It's harder to play defense these days, easier to play offense. That's what it is. But San Francisco, Jimmy G, he's showing me something now because he hadn't played enough football for a lot of people until this year. Last year he got hurt. And when he was still with the Patriots, he wasn't going to get a whole lot of playing time. But we're seeing it now. Things are improving. And when Kyle Shanahan is pushing teams before they started the winning this year, they were still pushing teams with backup and third-string quarterbacks. That's coaching. That's great coaching. Now, if you go by the totem pole, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and that improving Kansas City defense is definitely going to be um, – they were going to put that team probably in front of San Francisco. I would only because of Patty Mahomes. I trust him. Now, that defense for San Francisco, that's the one number one defense I trust on this list. Um, I respect right now they're in first place because today the Falcons, with two seconds left, they beat San Francisco in San Francisco. So the 49ers now 11-3. 11-3 also are the Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks. They have the number one seed. If they win that division and hold on, and we'll find that out, I believe it's the final week of the season, they'll have first place all sold up, period. All right? But these are, these are your best teams, and you can slide Seattle in there. I just don't trust the rest of the team around Russ yet. I don't trust their defense. I trust their offense to a degree. But then um, – and then Russ, once again, has to put on a cape every week. So, you know, we'll see. But the thing is, I believe that they are the, the teams that are next. And you watched all of those quarterbacks and those defenses and those coaches of the past. The ones who are normally at the top, those are the ones that you need to watch. They are. You look at these defenses for these teams, I mean, you can think they're probably not up there, but, you know, the doomsday defense of Dallas, the 2000 Ravens, LT and the New York Giants, and even the Michael Strahan teams that were getting into the playoffs and as wild cards and then winning it twice. As low, well, Strahan won that first one, which was his last game as a pro. But the defense uh, was part of the de the difference that helped Eli Manning 
to win those Super Bowls, even though he was the MVP of both of his games that they played against New England. The Broncos of 2016, I mean, we all know that it wasn't the noodle arm of my man, Peyton Manning. I mean, his arm was, was about all but gone. It, it, it made me cringe and bite my lip and ball my hands up in a, in a weird way when I watched him throw. It made me hurt to watch him throw. I mean, he turned red and was biting his, gritting his teeth until they was falling out of his mouth trying to throw a football 15 yards. <laughs> that defense was the difference when they beat the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton. Von Miller, Demarcus Ware, Chris Harris, Aqib Tlaib, they had guys on that defense, man. Steel Curtain, Dolphins, no name, 85 Bears, Steel, you know, all of those defenses and those great coaches that have been um, around through the years. You have to take your hats off to them. That's who's next. And I think it's not that hard to see right now. It's not that hard to see anymore. Break. definitely going to hit this I believe on Tuesday night hopefully that's when we record our next podcast my brother and my uh, my brother Joe and myself he didn't want to talk about the Dallas Cowboys because he's sick of them now maybe his tune has changed a little bit yeah a little bit just a hair 44-21 the Cowboys finally beat a team that's over 500 mark all right i know he doesn't care it's like Shh, they should have been doing that yeah that's his attitude that's his attitude but i wanted to talk about the cowboys from from another perspective and i'm going to take it to church and for some of y'all that don't go to church maybe it's work maybe it's school maybe it's even in the house i don't know okay there's a little thing that, um, uh, well, I don't know if everyone calls it this. But I'm just throwing this name out there. You can call them church hoppers. There are people out there that, man, woman, girl, boy, I don't, you know, mostly this is for the grownups. They'll go to a church or maybe they're on a job and they have a problem with somebody or they may have even have problems with certain people um, that they're around, co-workers or church members. And if I keep it at church, then, okay, they have the same, they, they decide they don't want to deal with those people anymore. So they move on to another church. They change churches. Problem rises up again. Hmm. Okay. I'm having to deal with this stuff again. I'm gone. So they move on to another one. And they constantly are on the move. Church to church. I had to talk about this kind of stuff with my kids. And the way that I looked at it was they have a problem at school. And they have the same problem at different schools. 
with the teachers most of the time. Sometimes it could be with the students. If you're talking about a job, it could be with coworkers or maybe even a boss. And what you have is a situation where you have the exact same thing happening everywhere you go. There's one factor that just seems to be the same. There's one thing that is a constant, is consistent across the board, is you. You have a problem everywhere you go, but it's always somebody else. My kids, what I told them, it's like, okay, you go from school to school, and I'm not saying that you pull them out of school or this is different school years and you may be in different classes and you may even be at a different school. You go from, you know, grade school, you know, move to maybe another grade school and you go to middle school and then you go to high school, maybe even college. And then what happens is you have the exact same issues everywhere you go. I told them this. If you are smelling the same thing everywhere you go, the same stench, the same stank everywhere you go, maybe, just maybe, you need to check your clothes. If you're smelling the same thing everywhere you go, I may be helping somebody out there. I don't know who it is. But if you have the same issues everywhere you go, you might need to check your clothes. Some people are allergic to mirrors. They may be vampires. I don't know. They have no sense of self, no awareness. Anybody play video games like, you know, football games or basketball games, football games, you know, there's a creator player or you can edit a player. And there's this thing on there that says awareness. The best of the best players have their awareness at like in the 90s, 95, 97, 99. The worst of the players are like in the 30s. Some people's awareness in this world is on zero. It might be even negative zero. It's just that simple. If you have the same issue from every job that you're on, you might need to start checking your own self. If you're having the same problems every single year that you are the owner of an NFL franchise, Mirrors do work. I don't know exactly what they're made out of, but they work. Jerry Jones might need to have one. We might need to check his house, his mansion or whatever. Maybe put a small mirror on one of those bottles of that blue that he drinks, that Johnny Walker blue, so he can hold it up and actually see something, see a reflection, and he'll see his answer. This dude is the problem in Dallas. That's not news per se, but every single year since they last won a playoff, no, not even last won a playoff game because that was just a couple of years ago when Romo and company, they haven't had a win since then. And even that win was questionable. Anyway, sorry, Cowboys fans, watch your feet. I think... (laughs) you really have to take into account the last time they won a Super Bowl, people. I still have that game on tape. Super Bowl 30. They were still wearing extremely large shoulder pads back then. But that was the last time they won a Super Bowl. 
Everybody knows it was Jimmy Johnson that was more responsible because not only did he coach the team, he held the team accountable. It's just that simple. He's made it abundantly clear, Jerry Jones, that he's the shot caller, and he doesn't trust anybody. Now, he has some trust in his his kids. He has trust in Stephen Jones. He has trust in Jerry Jr. He has trust in Charlotte, his daughter. I didn't know that the family, Jason Garrett's brother, I believe, is the head of the scouting department. There are Cowboys. Their coaching staff is littered with former Cowboys. But everything's people that he knows. I don't know too much about family-owned businesses, but I'm sure that those kind of uh, problems, there are problems that can arise where it's like maybe you have too many people around that are friendly or that you can control or whatever. I, I, I think that's just the way that I see it because there's no change. Troy Eggman has called him stubborn. He said it in the article. I think I looked it on looked at it on the New York, uh, the Washington Post. Troy Eggman has said that he has an interest in being in the front office of an NFL franchise one day. He knows good and well he does not want to work for the Cowboys because I mean he's he's too abreast to how that thing works. After every game, there are more reporters around. This is the one. Listening to Peter King tell it, this is the one locker room in the entire league where the owner has got more mics in his face than the players do. And do they talk to the players? Yeah. But not like that. Jerry doesn't know how to you know, fall back. What winning, seriously winning owner do you see that's really out front in any franchise? I mean, we know about Golden State's ownership and GM, Joe Lacob and company, but they're not like all out front. Of course, that's over with now. I mean, Golden State, the Warriors have turned into the the Lewis Winthorpe of the NBA. You go from being rich, if anyone's seen the movie Trading Places, you go from being rich and on top of the world and people wiping your butt to being on a bus in a nasty Santa Claus suit eating ham that's tangled up in your beard. I mean, that's what's going on right now. I mean, Katie's gone. Iguodala is gone. Um, uh, Steph is hurt, and he's not playing right now. They're probably going to they, – they're definitely in the lottery. I mean, that's – I'm sorry, I just went on a smart rant. Oh, yeah, and, and uh, Clay, he's doing interviews in between games, sitting um, in the tunnel on a, with a suit and microphone around his head. It's it's just different than Golden State this year. But anyway, um, it, it's I mean, who else does that? What other ownership do you know does any of these things? And clearly, he does not know how to not be out front. And I'm I'm reading a book. Um, how about them cowboys? I think it is. Um, I ordered it a long time ago. I got started. I've I've gotten through what the first three, four chapters. I'm real slow about reading a book. But I'm going to finish this thing, and it's probably going to tell me more about this. But what I did last night, I said, hold on, let me look at something. And I came across uh, networks, A Football Life, 
the one on Jimmy Johnson. I kind of did a little fast forwarding. And this made me think about something I heard um, someone talk about last year may have been, but it's perfect. You have a millionaire that is basically bored. Jimmy Johnson talked about in an interview about the trade that he made to bring on Tony Casillas. And basically, Jerry on television took took credit for that trade. Now, did Jerry Jones have a hand in, you know, aiding that trade? Of course he did. But the problem is he took all the credit. Like, he did it all on his own. And what Jimmy and Jerry had a little talk about these things, not only that, the, um, I think it was during their first Super Bowl run. No, no, no. I think it was the second one when um, he Jerry, uh, Jimmy Johnson had a rule where you don't bring, you know, no, nobody comes into the locker room until he's done giving his pregame talk or whatever. And Jerry just right in the middle of all of it brought in like the, the some Afghan prince or whatever. I don't remember his name or anything. And he was heated about that. Jimmy, Jimmy was heated, and he had words with him about it. They were nose-to-nose, according to reports. But Jerry basically told him, uh, I'm the owner, and I can do what I want. Okay, you know, but please respect my side of the ball. And Jerry, didn't, I mean, he doesn't respect that at all. In another talk, he basically told him in so many words, he said that uh, no one cares about someone that makes – making 10 million they don't care about me making 10 million dollars because there's not a lot of people in this world I'm, and i'm paraphrasing there's not a whole lot of people in this world that make 10 million dollars there's not a lot of billionaires that people just know there's more average or regular people out there than there are people that are making billions of dollars okay that's a a, a lifestyle that is something that people dream about that's why they always use the phrase most people dream about but people do care about what you do let's just say in the sports arena and he he referenced making football moves and trades he wanted to be attached to this stuff and he still does so badly when jerry jones bought the team it was near the end of uh tom landry's 29 year run and he fired tom and let him go um, but they were terrible. And even Jimmy Johnson's first year, they were one in 15. I mean, it, it was bad. <laughs> and they did some things. They made, they finagled, made the moves. And of course, the greatest trade in NFL history when they sent Herschel Walker running back to the um, Minnesota Vikings for a bunch of picks. And all of those picks over the uh, the next couple of years, turned into players that were Hall of Famers, Pro Bowlers, um, or All Pros. They were significant pieces in the Cowboys dynasty in the 90s. And it wasn't just Jerry. It was more Jimmy than Jerry. And all of the stuff, Some of the stuff I'm telling you is not really news, but then some of it, maybe it is to some, to some of you out there. You have a billionaire owner that wants so bad to be so involved and have his say in everything and win a Super Bowl with his name on it because everybody knows that it was more Jimmy than Jerry 
I mean, they worked great together. But if Jerry could have knew his place and stayed in his place, he would have gotten the Hall of Fame for more than just being a contributor. Okay, his thing was more business related, him getting in there. And that was probably the worst thing that could have happened to the Dallas Cowboys. Him going into the Hall of Fame this early. I mean, he's 75 years old. I mean, granted, he's not going to stop owning the team or give it over to his children until the day they lower that man into the ground, period. And with him being in the Hall of Fame, that just, I mean, someone has to open up a window. His head is has been swelling for years. And when they put their gold jacket on him, it just got progressively worse. If you ask this, yourself this question, what else does a millionaire or billionaire need? They have everything. They can buy anything. They can go anywhere. What else do they need? I mean, seriously. Other than, you know, some Super Bowl accolades. They want to be out front. Those are the things that they care about. Recognition. Someone pointing at them and, and patting them on the back for something more than just making money. They have that. That's the only thing that's left for them to do. He wants to be a part of the football part. He wants the football end of things. And I'm sorry, Cowboys fans, you will never see it. Not as long as Jerry Jones is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. It'll never happen. And you know, the sad part is, is that you have a good quarterback. He can be great, but you have a good quarterback in Dak Prescott. You had a good quarterback in Tony Romo. You had no, no running game because DeMarco Murray at the time could not stay healthy. He was made out of wet tissue paper. You had a decent line, but not a great line. Your defense was, eh, other than DeMarcus Ware. Tell me somebody else on that defense. Name one. I'll wait. So, you know, you have, you have this team that I believe anybody in the NFL would love to play for. But you have a puppet at head coach. Everybody knows it. Jason Garrett, he is the second longest tenured coach in Dallas Cowboy history. Tom Landry went 29 years. Jimmy Johnson was only there for five. Barry Switzer for four. Then they went through Chan Gailey, Dave Campo, and of course, Hall of Famer Bill Parcells. Now, he said he had a great relationship with Jerry. But at the end, he was throwing up in his mouth at the thought of, you know, the way that things happened badly for those Cowboys teams. If he had a quarterback, Quincy Carter was not it, if he had a quarterback, if Romo was playing the level that he was towards the end when he got hurt, I believe they would have been okay. Give this team to Bill Parcells that's playing right now. Zeke Elliott, running game, Tony Parlett, they had 100 yards apiece today. They fed them both. And Dak Prescott didn't have to throw his arm off. Wasn't no 400-yard game, of course, this wasn't they weren't playing against a uh trash defense either. Just want to throw that out there. But he is a good quarterback. They have a good running back. Great, great running backs now. I think they have great a good running game. They don't have a head coach. And the head coach, I'm just gonna say it, his NADS is in 
Jerry's wallet. He owns him. There is a, um, a, a, a dotted line where they used to be. I'm sorry. I'm going to tell you the truth. Why should I lie? I mean, what, what do I have to lose? What do I have to gain, actually? <laughs> I mean, that's what I see. That's what I know. And these are things that I see and that I've noticed over the years. I learn. I listen. I don't have access to big-time coaches or athletes yet. GMs, I don't have their names. But what I do have is an ear. And I also have two eyes. I have two ears, actually, not one. I have two. I have two eyes. And I don't just watch the television. I listen to things. And you pick up on some things. And there's obviously, there's a guy that's in Dallas that's holding everything back. And, I, and everybody knows it. And I think everybody sees that but Jerry Jones. Matter of fact, I think when he lays, lays his head down to sleep at night, I, I don't think that he believes that he's the problem. I don't think he believes he's the, he's the problem. He thinks he's the solution. That's the problem. He thinks he's the solution. It's like those people that go from church to church, job to job, or children that go school to school. This, this teacher's doing the same thing. Ah, it's a familiar smell. Yeah, that's you. Check your pits, Jerry. Check your pits. <laughs>